I'm going to jump in to uh, the last week here of our sermon series on prayer, praise, and worship. And I want to give you guys a heads up. There's not going to be any discussion questions today during the sermon. Uh, one, um, this, this topic ended up being, I'm excited for this sermon, but it's just one that is challenging. And I couldn't figure out any discussion questions that would be lighthearted and, and easily accessible. And, and uh, so we're just going to skip them. We're going to skip them uh, for, for today. But as we wrap up this series on prayer, praise, and worship, I want to talk to you about prayer today. And uh, what I want to show you here is this, um, this notebook in my hands. It used to look like that, and now it looks like this. Um, when I was a teenager, and uh, my, my youth pastor encouraged us to uh, keep a prayer journal, and this is my prayer journal. And in it, um, it, there's a lot of red ink and a lot of black ink. So it, it looks like this. I don't want anyone to read what's inside of here because it's embarrassing and hilarious. But uh, the black ink represents a prayer request. The red ink represents a praise. And when a black inked prayer request got answered, I would cross it out with red ink. So the idea is, so the red represents answered prayers and praises. So you look through the book and you see a lot of red. You're like, God is answering prayer. That's pretty cool. This thing, I started in uh, December of 96. I would have been in eighth grade. And uh, I stopped using it in November of 2001, which would have been my freshman year of college. It is quite hilarious. I didn't, I just opened it. This, this lives in like a memory box of mine that I, I stashed away. And I looked at it this morning just to represent, this is, this is where I was my freshman year of college. It's pretty cool. My, my, my red uh, praise was forgiven and free with big caps and underline. Like, that's awesome. That's like a really mature praise. My prayer request, there's only two things on this last page. This is so funny. I can't even read this with a straight face. There was a girl that I liked uh, my, friend, my freshman year, and uh, she did not like me. And um, I can't even read this. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even read it. Things with uh, blank to get a ton better. And then in parentheses, I, put, I had given her a gift, and I wrote it. And I'm not even going to tell you what the gift was. It's so embarrassing. Um, that, one's still, that one's still black, which means it never got better. <laughs> but God answered that prayer in a different way, right? <laughs> um, my point of this is this is a testimony of God's faithfulness, but there is a lot of black prayer requests in here more serious than that one, that never got answered, okay? There is a lot of black inked prayer requests in this book that never got answered. And I want you to think about what those are in your life. Because we often in church don't talk about those things. I don't know why, because it's a part of all of our lives. But what are the black inked prayer requests for you? Things you've gone to God with as a request. You said, God, help me with this. Help me with this. I need this. Please, 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 and it has not happened, or it did not happen. I want you to try to hold on to those things. Because when you open the Bible, it can be really confusing. There's a lot of these one-liners. These are all from Jesus, these, these brief one-liners. And, and Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. 
Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Ask, and you will receive. So what gives? You ever been there? What gives? I promise you that everyone in this room and everybody watching online has deep, heavy prayers that they have prayed, that you have prayed to God that are unanswered. Prayer is about chronic illness and sickness and disease. Prayer is about mental health. Prayer is about unwanted sexual attractions. Prayer is about struggles in your marriage. Prayer is about struggles in your singleness, infertility. Somebody died and they're gone. And that prayer can't be answered now. Let alone the prayers we pray for the world. Praying for Ukraine. Praying that racial injustice would stop. Prayers around poverty, both in our city and around the world. Sex trafficking, domestic violence in homes. And, and then praying for our loved ones. We're praying for ourselves. We're praying for the world. And we pray for loved ones that are struggling with all of these things. What gives? So, so what, what we've done in the church is we've, we've taken these one-liners and we've taken other bits of Scripture too and we put them together and we create a formula of prayer. A formula of prayer. And the formula basically says, if you really believe it, increase your faith. Repent of your sin. Make sure there's no sin between, you know, blocking that prayer. Then it'll happen. You guys have heard that. Many of us believe that because we put together a formula to say that. But if that works for anyone in the world, anyone, anyone in the world, if that works for them, if it works for you, please come find me because I got a whole list of things that are very troubling that I'd love for you to pray for me so that they might happen. I've tried. It doesn't work. It doesn't work for anybody. Nobody, nobody's getting all their prayers answered. Okay? Nobody. What the formula does, if we believe in that formula, here's what it actually produces. You pray and you pray, and these are deep things. These are not frivolous things. These are deep, deep things. God, why? Why would you bring this into my life? Why don't you take this away from me? A, God must not love me. He must not love me because he's not answering this prayer. Or B, I don't have enough faith. I heard the preacher say it. I'm just a bad Christian. I just need to be better. I need to do better. I need to have more faith. C, God is just weak. Maybe, maybe Satan's just more powerful than God. Or D, God just doesn't exist. This is all just made up. I have lost more friends, Christian friends, that have left their faith 
to this issue than any other. Because, you know, it can be all well and good, maybe, when you're a kid, I don't know. As you grow up, stuff happens. And you go, where was God? The formula didn't work. This is very, very important. It's, 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 it's dangerous. It's very dangerous to create a dress like this out of Bible verses. Okay, look at the dress. It's a cool dress, by the way. Uh, so, somebody took lots of random pieces of fabric. Each of those pieces was a part of a broader piece of fabric. Some may have made pictures that we'll never know. You know, maybe, maybe they were taken out of a picture of the sun or of a, of a forest or of an animal. We don't know. We don't know what they were. But little squares have been cut out and then placed together to form a new thing, a dress. We do that with Bible verses all the time. I believe this is how the prayer formula has been created. I like that phrase there. I like that phrase there. I like that phrase there and that phrase there and that phrase there. And we're going to sew them all together to come up with this prayer formula. Some of these verses that I showed you, some of these can be explained by their context. If you read the whole chapter, if you read the verses after and the verses before it, it can be helpful to bring about the meaning of the verse. Some of them can't be explained by their context. Some of them I just don't know. I just am puzzled by, and I take, I take those to God. I'm intrigued, though, by the context of these messages that have baffled me for, for years. So I put my blog website up there because there's no way in this sermon that I could get to any of this with time or even in this format. But I'm promising that in the next week or two, I'm going to do a deep dive into those texts and provide what I see as the context of, the, of those challenging verses that come straight from the mouth of Jesus to try to give us some idea of what those specific verses mean. So tune in over the next couple of weeks uh, if you want to read about that. But what I want to do this morning is give you what I call formula busters. So you've got the formula, but there are obvious things in Scripture that break the formula. Okay, so Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, if you, if you go back to the, the multiple choice options I gave you, God doesn't love me. I'm not a good enough Christian. I need to do more. Those are all messages of condemnation. If you've ever felt that way, that's not the gospel. That's not the freedom that we have in the gospel. The gospel says you don't have to be a good enough Christian. You don't have to do more because Jesus did it all. He was good enough. He's the only one that could be good enough. And he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. In your weakness, he loves you. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you anymore. God, if I do, if I do this little dance, will you love me more? God, God if, I, if, I, if I do really good on this picture, will you love me more? For those of you with young children, can you imagine your kids drawing you a picture and giving it to you and then saying, do you love me more now? I couldn't love you any more than I already do. This is a great picture, but I don't love you anymore. I, love you. I, really, I don't love you because of the pictures you draw for me. Plus, let's be real, it's not very good. You're like four years old, you know what I'm saying? I mean, let's be honest, right? <laughs> 
He loves you. Jesus already did the work. You don't have to do it. That's the gospel. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's some more formula busters, straight from Scripture. So again, the, 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 the one-liners I gave you, they, they very clearly said, ask anything and I will give it to you. And in the same gospel, the book of Matthew, James and John's mother comes to Jesus with James and John. There's three of them. And Jesus says, what is it you want? Jesus asked. And she said, grant that these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. I don't even know exactly what that means, but basically like, yo, when we get to heaven, we want, we want Jesus on the throne and I want my boys up next to you. <laughs> I want that. I want that. That's what I want. Did Jesus give that to her and to them? No, he did not. Well, I think you said you ask anything I want and you'll give it to me. Second Corinthians 12. This is the apostle Paul. He wrote like half the New Testament. I'm going to get to this passage later at the end. But here in this verse, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. There was a thorn in his flesh. This was a, a thorn as a figurative metaphor for something that put him in agony, something that made him suffer. And he pleaded with God. Have you ever pleaded with God? He pleaded with God, take it away, take it away, take it away. Did God take it away? No, he did not. The last one is Jesus Christ himself, God in the flesh, the Messiah, prays about the oncoming cross that's coming. Abba, Father, Jesus said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but you will. What a theology of prayer we have. Jesus is already enduring incredible suffering as he prepares for the cross and he knows what's coming. And he says, Father, you can do anything. I've prayed that. God, you can do anything. Do this. Please do this. Did God the Father take this cup from Jesus? No, he did not. They bust the formula. They bust the formula. 11 of the 12 disciples died a martyr's death. You can Google it. I don't have time to get into all of it. But they died martyr's death. They were, they were one was dragged by a chariot. One was burned alive, beheaded, hung on a cross upside down. The only one that made it out was John. He got exiled to, a, to an island. That's how we have the book of Revelation. Well, only one of the 12 didn't die a brutal martyr's death in the prime of their life. The average lifespan in the first century, when you read the Bible, so we're reading about the first century Roman Empire, 27 and a half years. That was the average lifespan in the Roman Empire. That takes into account a massive uh, infant mortality rate. So many, many, many babies died. So you could live over 27 if you made it past infancy. If you made it past the age of 10, you had a shot of making it to, you know, 50, 60 some years old. But my point is death and tragedy, tragic death was an ever present part of their lives. 
had to be woven into their theology. They would have been facing it all the time. And Jesus himself brutally suffered and died an agonizing death on the cross. These are the holiest, best Christians maybe that have ever walked the earth, and they are suffering, agonizing lives and deaths. Formula busters. This is 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 28. And I know it's a lot of text, but I'm going to read it. This is Paul talking about his life, his ministry, and he says this. I have been in prison more frequently, been flogged, that's whipped, more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, again, whipping. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and I've toiled and I've often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily anxiety of my concern for all the churches. How's that formula working? How's that working for Paul? Not, not, you wouldn't want him on your infomercial for the formula, okay? You don't, you, that's not what you want. This is the all-star Christian model outside of Jesus. And, and this he's describing is his life. We're going to get into Romans 8, and if you want, you, could, you can turn there. I, I'm going to, it is such a rich and incredible passage, and we're just going to do a flyover over it today. Um, but if you want to turn to Romans 8, you can, and follow kind of the whole context of, um, of, of where we're going, so you, you can see some, some of the broader context within it. But I've highlighted a few phrases, and we're just going to highlight a few things as we go through Romans 8. The context of Romans 8 is sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. Sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. It is clear that the church was suffering. One of the major themes in the New Testament is suffering Christians who are trying to bail on their faith. Have you ever wanted to bail on your faith because of suffering? Have you wanted to bail on your faith because God didn't answer your prayers? Yes. So did they. So did they. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Paul is writing and he's saying, you're suffering right now. I know. Let's talk about it. God is still faithful in your suffering. Later, we're going to read the book of James about healing, about prayers of healing. But even in that book, it begins with suffering, advice for suffering, and it ends with advice for suffering. Patience and perseverance through suffering which we're going to get to. Here's more of Romans 8, verses 22 to 27. I, I, I want you to key in on the phrases that I highlighted in yellow. At the top, the whole creation is groaning. We are groaning inwardly. We're hoping for what we do not yet have. We're waiting for it patiently. The Holy Spirit himself is interceding for us with wordless groans. The Holy Spirit is groaning on behalf of you. The Holy Spirit is praying for you. The Spirit intercedes for God's people. Can you relate to groaning? 
Have your prayers been groans, whether wordless or with words? I love the phrase that says in verse 25, but we hope for what we do not yet have. We wait for it patiently. There's a lot of things in this book that never happened. There's a lot of things I pray today that have not happened. And in all of these passages about suffering, it says we hope for what we do not yet have. We wait for it patiently. We wait for it patiently. We are going to groan until the redemption of these bodies. We're going to groan until Jesus comes back. We're going to groan until... God makes all things new and makes all things right. We get to be a part of bringing little bits of heaven to earth. As Colleen shared, the kingdom of God is alive and active. And people are going into Alpha Grand Rapids and they are experiencing little bits of heaven. Little reminders that Jesus wins. Reminders that God is alive and active. But we are patiently waiting for the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise. When he comes back and there is no more evil, there is no more sin, and there will be no more groaning and suffering. The last section of Romans 8, you may be familiar with. It often gets quoted, but what I rarely hear is the part about suffering. Highlighting again the present reality that the early Christians were going through. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why does Paul take time to be so specific to mention those things that are highlighted? Is he just using an illustration? Is he using a metaphor? No. It's because they are experiencing trouble and hardship and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger and sword. And sheep to be slaughtered. I mean, this is really, really, really heavy, 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 dark stuff that he is addressing that the first Christians are going to. And you notice after verse 37, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loves us. That's a great verse, isn't it? Like that's one to get tattooed. You know, that, that's, that's, that's a, a memory verse. But the circumstances didn't change for them. He, keeps, he, he just keeps right on going. The circumstances are still there despite being more than conquerors through him who loves us. What I love about this passage and the one above it, did you notice that the Holy Spirit's interceding for you? We, we talked about that. Interceding means uh, if John comes to me with a prayer request, I said, John, I'll pray for you. I'm interceding for John. I'm going to pray, God, will you help John? I'm interceding. It's like, cool, I got Noah interceding for me. You have the Holy Spirit interceding for you. This says you have Jesus interceding for you. The Holy Spirit and Jesus are praying for you. 
That's incredible. That is incredible. This section begins, he who did not spare his own son. God died. God experienced suffering. God experienced death. The suffering God is with you in your suffering. And brothers and sisters, his love cannot be overcome by your suffering. His love cannot be overcome by your suffering. The song that we just sang, he won't fail. He won't fail. We're not saying suffering's not going to come. We're saying that his love will not be overcome by your suffering. He won't fail. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So what should we do? What do we do about healing? What do we do when we're suffering? Well, we do what the Bible says we should do. We pray for it. We pray. We're obedient in prayer to ask God to heal us. We're commanded to prayer to, to do this. We're actually told exactly what to do. But I'm going to read verses 13 to 15, remembering that they're in the shadow of verses 7 through 11 of James. And, the, and, and those verses talk about in your suffering, be patient in your suffering. Persevere in your suffering. Instructions to the church, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, in my, my upbringing, as I was doing my, my prayer journal and all these things, I was not raised in a tradition where people were anointed with oil when being prayed for when they were sick. This could be physical sickness, emotional sickness, spiritual sickness. Uh, my church tradition didn't anoint people with oil. I don't know why. Um, I, I mean, I can guess why, but I've always wondered. It's in the Bible, and my church tradition didn't do it. Some of yours did. And uh, I'm thankful. I'm so thankful for the body of Christ because we can go to each other and say, hey, why aren't you doing what the Bible says? <laughs> and you go, oh, well, my tradition didn't do that. Well, maybe my tradition was wrong, <laughs> right? Um, and so today we're going to start a practice during our prayer time. We're not going to force it on anybody. It's just an option. Uh, but if you'd like to be prayed for healing, whether that's physical, emotional, spiritual, or any other kind of healing, uh, we're going to have a station in the front. I'm going to be at the station and Darby's going to join me, and Victoria's going to join me. We do not have official elders of our church yet because of our structure as a church plant, uh, but Victoria and Darby are both section leaders and spiritual leaders in the church, and they're going to join me. If you'd like to be prayed for for healing, uh, just come up during the prayer invitation, and uh, we will anoint you with oil, which is just a small dab of any type of oil. There's nothing magical about the oil. It's just an act of obedience. Oil was very cultural throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament. The anointing in the Old Testament was to set something aside. So lots of anointing happening in the temple. The priest would have been anointed. Whenever you see oil in the Bible, it's to set something aside as holy before the Lord. And it just was continued in the New Testament. Jesus sends out his disciples. He says, heal the sick and cast out demons, anointing them with oil, not the demons. 
the people. <laughs> Anointing the people with oil and healing them. And, 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 and God just uses it. It's kind of like, to me, it almost reminds me of communion. There's a tactile. There's nothing special about that bread, you know. We just order that, I think, on Amazon or something, right? Like, go to Meyer and buy it. Um, but God says, do this in remembrance of me. The anointing oil, it's a tactile way of saying, God is with you. You are set apart. And we're going to pray for healing. I didn't grow up with it, but it is biblical. And um, we just want to be a biblical church to the best of the ability that we can. So it's, you, we're, our rest of our prayer teams going to be available around the room. And uh, they're not going to have oil. And you just can go with them and, and be prayed for as normal. And that is uh, wonderful as well. So um, this is a, a guy that I got a chance to meet um, the last few days. Bryce Baxter and I, uh, we, we went out to a conference. Um, we found the most tropical location we could find, most exotic vacation destination, Boise, Idaho. Boise, Idaho. That's where we were uh, the last four days. Uh, the Exiles in Babylon Conference is a guy named Preston Sprinkle, some of you guys may know, that, that runs it. And uh, we had a great time out there, Bryce and I. Uh, one of the speakers is named Cameron Horner. This is Cameron. When he was 18 years old, uh, he dove off of that dock right there at this lake into shallow water, and he broke his neck. He broke his neck un underwater, and he, uh, he, he stayed underwater. Um, he, was, he describes being 18, feeling like he was going to die, almost knowing he was going to die. Uh, he, he was a, a Christian, a strong Christian. He was raised in the Word of Faith healing movement. So Word of Faith healing movement. And uh, these are his words, not mine. Um, well, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but um, the Word of Faith Healing Movement is, uh, it's a formula prayer. I mean, it, they've got the formula. In fact, I think they wrote the formula. And he's, he, he, he's under the water and he's praying. And it's, his testimony is so amazing because for so many reasons. Um, first of all, God miraculously, while underwater, gave him air to breathe. So those are Cameron's words, not mine. He should have died. He, there's no, he's like, there's no way I could have held my breath for that long. I was dying. I asked God for air, and somehow I had got air. Eventually, his friend, who's a lifeguard, uh, a former lifeguard, you know, was somewhere else and realized, like, Cameron's not here, he's, and, and brought him up. But he broke his back. His entire body was paralyzed. And... Uh, being in the Word of Faith healing movement, and, and he, he was able to, you know, uh, well, let me start there. Being in the Word of Faith healing movement, he was praying the formula prayer and praying the formula prayer and praying the formula prayer, and he was wrestling with all of those things that I mentioned. God must not love me. I must not have enough faith. And what was even harder was the people around him were saying the same things. Hey, hey, guy in a wheelchair, let me pray over you. You just don't have enough faith. You just don't have enough faith. How, how would you like that? Someone was like, you just don't have enough faith. Oh, you wear glasses? You just don't have enough faith. <laughs> you know, like, you just don't have enough faith. I mean, to, to be under that, that type of condemnation, oh. What he realized as he, as he, as he prayed these prayers, this is him playing wheelchair rugby, uh, which is pretty awesome now. He's been in a wheelchair for 10 years now. And he talks about how God never healed him 
of his body. God did heal him of his social brokenness. He said, all my friends left me. My church pushed me out. I didn't want to go anymore. Why would you want to go to church when everyone's telling you you don't have enough faith to be healed and that's, it's your fault? What's awesome is he's like, I still believe in physical healing. God can still heal. God just had another plan for me. And he's like, I, die, I don't understand it. And, and he's not in that movement theologically anymore. But he still believes in healing. And I, I, I love that. I, 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 and, and, and there's so much mystery when it comes to healing. But he's on stage saying, God did heal me, though I'm still in a wheelchair. Be still and know that I am God. We talked about that verse a few weeks ago. When we use the formula, the formula makes us God, you guys. Because when I got the formula, I'm in control. Okay, God, I need this done. I'm just going to follow the recipe. Bam, 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 bam. Boom, out of the oven comes the cake. That's not how good this thing works. Be still and know that I am God, he says. So I want you to go back to your notebook. And when you look at those lines that are in black ink, it can often feel like this, being lost in a dark, deep, scary woods with no way out. And I want to leave you with the Psalms. The Psalms were written in the middle, most of them, many of them. There's around 65 lament Psalms that were written in the middle of a deep, dark, scary woods when there was no way out. Colleen read from the Psalms earlier. When the formula breaks, God gives us a language to talk to him in the Psalms. Raw, relational language of the broken formula. Psalm 13 says this, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices. In your salvation, I will sing the Lord's praise, for he's been good to me. He's been good to me, even though he's not answering any of my prayers. We have to feel the raw emotion of the Psalms. So I'm going to invite the worship team back up, and we're going to close uh, with 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. If you go to Cameron Horner's Facebook page, he has a picture of him in the wheelchair facing the lake, and this is the verse he has emblazoned on the, on the photo. I mentioned this verse earlier. Paul was given a thorn in his flesh to torment him. Three times he pleads with the Lord, pleading, take it away from me, take it away from me, take it away from me. But God said to me, most Bibles have this in red, Jesus speaking this to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness 
You can read the rest yourself. I just want you to focus on that phrase, though. My grace is sufficient for you. Brothers and sisters, I believe that. His grace is sufficient for you and for me, and I have to believe it because I have to live off of that. I feed off of that phrase because the void inside of me, of the unanswered prayers, I cannot feed off of. I go to it and I say, I need this prayer answered, God, and it's not there, and there's an emptiness, and there's a void, and I will starve to death if that's where I go for my nourishment. And Jesus says, Noah, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for every unanswered prayer in this book. My grace is sufficient for the deepest, hardest, most chronic difficulties that you are facing. The ache is still there and it's unsatisfied. But I can feed off of Jesus to find my satisfaction. To know that he is with me. And I'm going to pray for healing. And we're going to pray for healing today. But not in a way that puts God on trial. This is not a God, if you heal me, I'll believe in you and you're real. But if you don't, then you don't exist. Then I'm done with you. That is not how our relationship with God works. That's not how his love works. There's no ultimatum. But we cry out relationally to God. We trust God. We know he's holding on to us. He's holding on to me. As I patiently wait for what I hope for. Romans 8. Patiently wait for what I hope for. Knowing God is in the waiting. We're going to sing a song next after we take communion. It's called Take Courage. And it is a song about how God is in the waiting. Wait upon the Lord, the Bible says over and over. Wait upon the Lord. I don't want to wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. But he's with you in the waiting. And he's with me in the waiting. Amen? Amen. We're going to take communion next. Um, we have bread. We have grape juice. Jesus, the night before he died, he broke a piece of bread. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took a glass of wine. He said, this is my blood shed for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. The new covenant, this new relationship I have with you. Do this in remembrance of me. So this is for Christians only. It's for those that have put their faith in Jesus. We're going to invite you to come to the table. Take a piece of bread. If you're new, just simple instructions. Take a piece of bread. You're going to dunk it into the bowl of grape juice, and then you'll eat it on, on your own when you're ready. If you'd also... Uh, if you prefer, we have another way you can take communion. Under the basketball hoop, we have a basket with self-enclosed juice and a wafer. If you'd like a socially distanced way of taking communion, we invite you to the table. Uh, once we're finished, I'm going to give us a prayer invitation. So just be ready for that, whatever God's doing in your heart. Our prayer team will be around the room, and we'll be in the front. If you'd like prayer for healing and to be anointed with oil, um, we'll be ready for you. Let's pray over our communion time as we continue in worship. God, we, I thank you that you're with us. I pray that this message sunk in. I know it's not the funnest uh, message. Um, but God, it's so real. It's so real. It's so real. God, I trust you. I trust your word. I trust your Holy Spirit. I trust your grace is sufficient. I pray you would increase our faith. God, you do want us to have big faith. You can do anything. 
God, we just don't understand stuff on this side of eternity. We don't understand a fallen world. We just, we don't understand. And some of us in this room, we've seen, we've seen stuff. I mean, we've seen some stuff. God, I pray we can just give you that stuff right now and ask you, ask you to heal those situations. Heal the wounds in our hearts. Heal our brokenness. God, that you would be the light in the dark place. You would be the shelter in the storm. Jesus. Thank you for your body and your blood. Thank you that you died on the cross. Thank you that you're a God who suffered. So when we suffer and we come to you with our suffering, you know exactly how it feels. Oh. And you pray for us. Thank you for praying for me, Jesus. Thank you for praying for me, Holy Spirit. Wow. Whew. Thank you. Help us to take courage and to know that you're in the waiting. Thank you for healing us. In your way, in your timing, thank you for never giving up on us. We love you. Amen.